0: Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsythe.
1: Welcome back to the Advertising Show. Ray Shillins, Brad Forsythe. So happy to be with you uh, this weekend here as we bring uh, a whole bunch of stuff your way. This uh, two hours is jam-packed with amazing stuff. You won't believe it. We've got Jonathan Holbert. All the way from uh, from Singapore uh, this weekend. Uh, this is a very long, long-distance phone call. Advertising show being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The advertising show is a big Radio Midgets production. In addition to Jonathan, we've got him for both hours. We've also got uh, Joe Jaffe coming up here in a couple of moments, along with Patrick Meyer talking about Content Express. Not Continental Express, but Content Express. Uh, Jeffrey Gittimer is uh, kind of got a good thing here. It says no risk. No, nothing. Good stuff. Andy hmm. Borowitz. Uh, by the way, uh, Jeffrey has a new book out as well. Uh, hmm. We went to the uh, the uh, the New York or the what is it? Uh, wherever you order books from, Amazon, I guess it is amazon it? Dot com, And yep. bought mm-hmm. his uh, bought his new
2: book. So we'll see what happens there. What right? do you mean, new book? Pardon me. Which which was it? I can't remember. <laughs> well, it's not new. It's been on the bestseller list for several months. No, no, now. no. It's this the...
1: isn't. No, this is a new book. It's called oh, okay. the Little Red Book of Something. Okay. Right of Selling something no it's yeah but it's brand new it just came out it's a different one okay yes, a different one and, and andy see. borowitz is with us too Andy has no new books at this point mm-hmm. he also he's got a good comedy career though and uh the iraq mi- iraqi mistakes we've been making a few mistakes and there's some discussion as to how many that have, have actually been made so we'll find mm-hmm. that out uh the wacky world of marketing uh this hour we'll be talking about a 500 pound salad and you won't find that at Wendy's, or maybe you will. And not little, salad bar, but salad. That's a big salad, yeah. Yeah. Uh, got to eat it quickly. And uh, the, are the advertising showcase this hour, it uh, looks like you've got, what is that over there that you've got for
2: the advertising It showcase? looks like it's the advertiser showcase. Good, goodvertising Good as we slang them. it. Yeah. It's okay. with the. Yeah. Okay. Can you reveal a little bit about that? Uh, widening & the agency, but okay. not the local widening & Kennedy domestic. It's Amsterdam. And we'll just say this. Uh, it has to do with Coke, and I'm talking about the soft drink. That's a good thing, because uh, yeah.
1: we don't talk about the other
2: stuff on this show. No, we don't. Okay, so Jonathan Holbert in the
1: wings uh, in Singapore. That's a long way for the green room to be here, uh, but we, we shipped it there
2: to him, so he's yep. waiting there. And, uh, and a whole Got bunch those of those chopsticks stuff in there for him and all those little, you know, various <laughs> uh, egg rolls, uh, He's been around. Dumplings.
1: English teacher in Tokyo. Uh, yeah. Major accounts like P&G, AT&T, Kraft, Hewlett-Packard, Pepsi Foods. Uh, while at Sachi & Sachi, Jonathan, uh, uh, also young and Rubicam and uh, DDB. Uh, he's a native Californian, which you can tell by the accent. Uh, graduated UCLA, uh, spent 19 years in Asia, having lived in Singapore, Hong Kong, and Tokyo. The mm-hmm. guy's been around. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. He kind of hang around that part of the part of the world, but uh, that's okay. So well,
2: and his favorite restaurant, International House of Pancakes. I, <laughs> go figure. <laughs> hey, you know it's it's all it's totally worn out by now, Ray. This being the weekend, and it happened earlier this week. But uh, Katie Couric and her announcement, uh, leaving. Bye. Yeah. Le- yeah. Uh, and, you know, just as a reminder to everyone, if you're just joining us and if not uh, not a regular listener, Ray and I both uh, uh, weighed in on this several months ago. We have a regular appearance by Alex Ben Block with Television Week, and uh, Alex said that, uh, that Katie would stay at the Today Show many, many months ago, and, and yeah, we yeah. went out on a wing and said she will go she's to gone. CBS. She will do it because of a lifestyle change, and here she is, and she's gone. But, you know, the other, you know, not very well-kept secret is the fact that uh, The View's Meredith uh, – Vieira will be uh, succeeding Curica at the Today Show, but oh, you know I don't know about,
1: Was that announced already? Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, shortly after. And and uh, what's interesting about that, Ray? I don't know what your take is on this, but you know, she did have the background with uh, 60 Minutes, uh, and you know, has a, a solid news background. But at the same time. You know, she's uh, been on the View talking about orgasms and organic fruit and various other uh, items, and that's two and,
1: things to put together very. That is, yeah. and
2: well, they both they both the Big O, yeah. and then uh, and then she's also hosted the daytime syndicated show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, following in uh, Regis's footsteps there. So, right. you know, her career has been all over the place. Uh, I'm just curious whether she's going to be able to. Uh, Come back to uh, you know. Come back to a more settled, uh, respectable environment with the Today Show. We'll see. I, although she's got the personality for it, yeah, and and big shoes to fill as well. So yeah. we'll see what happens. But life yeah. goes
1: on. Katie will do well at CBS, and the Today Show will go. You on. You think
2: so? I'm I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say that uh, she's a bit too uh, cutesy for hard news. I'm going to suggest that uh, it's going to it's going to go down as a, a, a big disaster. I'm sugge- I'm going to go out and say that we're going to see if I'm going to be wrong because I have been wrong before. Uh, and I'll gonna,
1: say, yeah, I'll, I'll go the other side. I'll say she's going to do great there. She's has got the, enough re- of an edge that she will uh, she will capture uh, what she, what they're looking for. You, we'll
2: you may be right. Here's my thought. Bob Schieffer was as old as his audience, <laughs> because it's basically old people that are watching the evening news, and, and why... Get a perky currick on there that I don't know that a lot of older people can relate to, but in any event, uh, frankly, I don't I don't see why they left uh, they got rid of Sh- uh, Schieffer to begin with. I thought he was doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who knows? Yeah,
1: I, I don't know. I'm glad to see Katie making the switch. So it's good. Hey, yeah. let's check in with a, a guy who will not be doing the CBS News. Uh, of <laughs> course, he does a feature here in the advertising show. It's Joe Jaffe with Ray Shellen's and Brad Forsyth. If you dare to risk seeing the world from a new
3: point of view, join us now for a different perspective featuring author and new marketing consultant Joseph Jaffe.
4: I stumbled upon a rather simple but yet really intuitive grid the other day. It basically portrayed the client and the agency as either superior or or subservient. In this particular case, it referred to superior as God. So we had client as God agency as God in one quadrant. We had client as God, agency subordinate. Then we had agency as God, client as subordinate, and finally the two subordinate positions. If you think about the landscape right now, we're suffering from an acute swing of the pendulum. Gone are the days of the arrogant agency. What we have today is almost a reversal of those roles. Today's agency is inferior or subordinate, and today's client is superior and almost suffers from a commensurate godlike complex. It is absolutely critical to eliminate the God-complex. Neither agency nor client can afford to suffer from these delusions of grandeur. We need to be able to pursue the quadrant in which both client and agency regard themselves as equals. Not canceling each other out. But in the case of humility and in the case of equality, being able to partner together for the greater good of the brand and the greater good of that brand's ability to connect with its consumer base.
3: This has been a different perspective. Featuring Joseph Jaffe, president of new marketing consulting practice Jaffe, LLC, and author of Life After the 32nd Spot.
1: All I
2: can say after that is,
1: I
5: love you, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we, we should uh, ask Jonathan if he can guess Joe Jaffe's accent. You went a free t-shirt Something like that
1: The one thing Joe left out of that was the fact that there are egos involved But you know, I sure am glad Let's have a Coke and a smile And uh, and life uh, is happy And everybody gets along Well, I don't know about that Yeah, me neither Boy, wouldn't that be boring too uh, we have uh, Jonathan Holbert, Holbert Consulting out of Singapore, and uh, Jonathan is going to be with, with us this hour for a couple of segments and the next hour for a couple of segments at theadvertisingshow.com. It's an incredible web experience as well. You've got lots of opportunities to uh, uh, for podcasts and RSS feeds and just a bunch of good stuff there at theadvertisingshow.com. It's a good place to go, and we're glad you're here today. So stay with us with uh, more with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth and our special guest, Jonathan Holbert on the advertising Show.
0: You're listening to the advertising show with Ray Schillens and Brad Forsyth. Pepsi
1: Cola, it's <laughs> the spot. Twelve full ounces—that's a lot. Twice as much for a nickel too goal is drink for you. Glad you're here with us on the advertising show, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, with our special guest, uh, Jonathan Holbert. We told you a little bit about Jonathan before the break, but let me continue. He started uh, Holbert Consulting, a uh, marketing uh, consulting company, in uh, June of 2005, has clients in Vietnam, China, Taiwan, Malaysia, and Singapore, and has uh, written a novel, which is in the process of now being optioned for, uh, for a movie. And Brad and I would like to be in that movie. Okay? Mm-hmm. Is that okay,
2: Jonathan?
6: Uh, totally okay. Okay, can we yeah. have like, we'll a, small Let me,
1: like a, we have a
6: small part? Like a walk-on or something? Do you know what a part? grip
2: is? <laughs> oh, you <laughs> I got the
1: lead.
6: I got you yeah. grip. Oh, we got yeah. the
1: lead. We got the lead, Ray. It'll <laughs> be a love story. It's wonderful. Anyway, Jonathan, uh, all the way from Singapore, welcome to the Advertising Show, and thanks for taking time out of your weekend.
2: Yeah, Jonathan. Uh, let's uh, let's jump into this. And by the way, if our audience wants to learn more about Jonathan above and beyond uh, uh, his company, you know, if you if you if you're a regular reader of the of Advertising Age, uh, excellent article just recently, this past uh, March. Last month, uh, our Brands Becoming the Export Ideology of the 21st Century? And we'll talk a little bit about that article in, uh, that you uh, submitted to Ad Age and, and, and appeared in the, as I said, March 13th issue uh, in a moment. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, uh, building brands in China in particular. You know, a lot of Western marketers uh, are now... Uh, challenged, I think, when it comes to uh, marketing brands to different cultures, and in particular, ch- the Chinese culture. Are you finding that uh, Western-based brand companies and ad agencies and so forth are doing a decent job of marketing to Chinese?
6: Well, some aren't, some aren't. I mean, one of the one of the ones that's doing the best job, I think, in China is Nike. Uh, when, um, I think it was during the, uh, the last Olympics, there was a Chinese hurdler who won the gold uh, medal uh, for hurdling. And um, the day afterwards, uh, Nike had put on a commercial uh, celebrating that win of that particular Chinese hurdler. And they put on a, a couple of uh, supers. and one super said they say that Asians aren't fast enough to win um, uh, speed races. And then the second super said they say that Asians aren't strong enough to win um, speed races. And then it shows the hurdler you know going through the paces and uh, gaining on the other hurdlers, and then he puts his arm up and he goes through the tape, and then the last super says, they're wrong, Asians are number one, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a major hit in China, absolutely major hit. And what Nike did when, uh, when they ran that commercial is they connected very well with the Chinese consumer to a point that the, um, uh, the local brand, Li Ning, couldn't compete with them. And uh, so, no, you, you, can do quite, you can do quite a good job in terms of marketing.
2: Well, it sounds like Nike's uh, following their, uh, their strategy that they're doing here in the U.S. and that's very interesting and I think appropriate that they maintain that same, uh, same strategy globally or at least certainly in china let's talk a little bit staying with some generalities here for a moment before we begin to drill down on some specifics here jonathan what are some of the more common mistakes that uh, you see from your vantage point that companies uh, make uh, certainly u.s based agencies and, and brand marketing firms when it comes to marketing their products and services for the chinese consumer today
6: Oh, well, I guess not, not understanding the cultural nuances and uh, and making uh, cultural mistakes that could uh, offend sensitivities. I mean, to be honest with you, Nike's a good example of that, too. Um, after that huge success of that Chinese hurdler commercial, they came out with another commercial with LeBron James, uh, and he was, uh, you know, doing martial arts with all these different sort of legendary Chinese characters and winning, and that had the exact opposite effect of offending the number of Chinese by... The fact that, uh, he, you know, here's this NBA basketballer who's beating all these uh, Chinese legendary Chinese characters. But they were, they were pretty good and fast and, you know, taking the commercial off air and apologizing for the cultural missteps. Um, but it's about not getting the sensitivities right. Toyota had a very, um, and again, it's not a Western company, but Toyota did a very famous misstep uh, where on one of the famous bridges in Beijing, they had two stone lions saluting a Toyota car. And uh, the Chinese took that as an insult of, you know, these legendary lines of Beijing saluting the Japanese invaders. Wow. And, of course, that, um, that put Toyota in a very, very hot spot uh, in China for at least a year.
2: That's surprising. So, I mean, that uh, I mean,
6: I'm, I'm using, we are talking general, uh, I'm using the specifics to sort of uh, uh, talk about the generalities, but it is about missing, you know, the cultural nuances and not getting into, you know, the insights that make uh, the consumers there tick.
2: You know, I know so, some Asian uh, markets use U.S. celebrities, and they'll actually voice in the in the local language uh, uh, spots. Then, in some cases, local uh, celebrities, American celebrities that would not normally do a lot of uh, ads uh, here domestically, uh, you'll see appearing uh, in various Asian markets. Do you find that to be the case in China?
6: No, not in China. Uh, Japan, that's more famous, where you get guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger right. and Harrison Ford doing commercials. In China. No, not, a, not as much um, Celebrity advertising usually has to be with some form of a Chinese celebrity Right uh, Either a Hong Kong or a Taiwan or China-based star
2: yeah, I would imagine. And do you find? Do you think? Uh, are 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 you optimistic when it comes to opportunities for Western marketers to build brands in China? I mean, is there a bit of a, a nationalism when it comes to uh, Chinese-based uh, products? And we'll talk globally here in a moment. But just staying with the, I th- I'm intrigued by the Chinese market and the up-and-coming emerging market of China. Uh, And curious uh, uh, how world brands, or global brands, I should say, and in particular U.S.-based global brands do uh, relative to uh, uh, homegrown brands there in China.
6: Um, Chinese are, it's an interesting dichotomy. In fact, I was just in Shanghai about two weeks ago, and I spent a week there. And uh, when you talk to young people, I mean, they're all wearing, you know, Levi jeans or Western clothes, or uh, I mean, they they would fit in any in any city in the U.S. So it isn't. I mean, they are nationalistic. They're very proud about China. Very proud about where China's gone in the last couple of years, and where China's going to go in the next ten. But it's not to to the extent where they'll be. um, They'll basically say, "I'm only going to buy Chinese. I'm not going to buy Western." They'll buy whatever is good value, and if Mm -hmm. they think the values are not good, they won't buy it. they, they will spend a lot of money on a pair of nike shoes because they feel the values of a nike shoes are good they'll go to mcdonald's they'll go to kfc they'll eat the food there quite happily um on the basis that they feel it's good value if they don't feel it's good value they'll turn away just as quickly um one of the things that uh i'm sure you've read these same things as well is that they think the largest luxury goods market in the world in the next uh, five years from now will be china and uh So, yeah, I I don't think if people, if if marketer is going to China with the expectation they're going to sell a brand with good values behind it, I think they will succeed for sure.
2: That's interesting. So uh, uh, brand loyalty, is that a strong component in this emerging market in China?
6: Uh, Not at this point because the equities aren't there yet, but it will be over time. Uh, There's one of the insights that we came up with is that people always remember their first brand. So the the first brands to go into China uh, and establish a loyalty and a credibility will often do very well, which is why Procter & Gamble is doing incredibly well in China. Uh, Brands that are going in for kind of a hit-and-split type of strategy or will go in and see if it works and then go out don't usually survive. Um, The beer market now has 650 brands, Mm -hmm. and it's due for a major shakeout uh, because everybody Part of what's happened with China is that there's just so much PR on how fast the market's growing, how big it's getting, how big it is in general, that a lot of brands have uh, piled into the market, um, have spent a bit of money trying to build a brand, haven't stayed the course, and are finding it very difficult to make money.
2: So, you know, after... yeah. I was going to say, Jonathan, excuse me, after the break, I'd like to jump into some of the uh, elements that you include in your article, which in particular, the uh, shortcut strategy, which I think our audience would find interesting. And I know Ray and I certainly would. Oh, That's why we're going to ask yeah. the question. Yeah,
1: We will ask the question, but first we're going to take a very healthy commercial break. It's a 500-pound salad. <laughs> There's <laughs> plenty to go around for everybody, and it's, uh, I don't know what it's about. It just says 500-pound salad here machine. so we'll find out the wacky world of marketing where nothing is uh, too crazy, I guess, right? With Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show. Our special guest out of uh, Singapore this weekend, Jonathan Holbert
0: at uh, Holbert Consulting. Back in just a minute with more on the Advertising Show. And now, it's time for the wacky world of marketing. Wacky world of marketing. Here's your host, Bruce Abbott.
3: Our Wacky Update heads to Gary, West Virginia, where AP showcases a weight loss group celebrating with a giant salad. What better way to mark the loss of 500 pounds than a 500-pound salad. The massive salad contained 110 heads of lettuce, 165 pounds of carrots, and about 120 cucumbers prepared in a swimming pool. It took about two and a half hours to prepare, and a hungry crowd gobbled it up in about four hours. A coordinator of the weight management program through the Tug River Health Association says the salad represented the total pounds lost by about 27 people over a five-month period ending March 1st. And that is a phenomenal accomplishment. And that, my friends, is the Wacky World of Marketing.
0: This program was written and produced by Bruce Abbott, executive producer of The Advertising Show. Join us next time when we uncover the strange, the bizarre, and, unfortunately, the true wacky world of marketing. make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show.
1: No one's going to call you a Hollywood queen. They will think you're a model in a magazine. But them baby, you're a... It's the advertising show. Ray and Brad Forsyth back with our special guest out of Singapore this weekend. Jonathan Holbert, so Holbert Consulting is the is the company. Do we have a website here? At um, I don't Jonathan? see one. I don't see
6: I one. I don't.
2: Jonathan. What's your website?
6: I don't have a website yet. I've been well, so busy, I haven't set one up. i okay. got a website company I'm going to use in Vietnam, but I haven't actually gotten around to making one.
2: Well, it. I heard they're cheap there, so that was a good choice. Oh, they're very cheap. And that Web mm-hmm. idea is a good thing as well, yeah. so let's go with that. And anyway. by the way, I'm now uh, reserving HolbertConsulting.com, <laughs> so if you want to buy that, it's for sale, Jonathan.
1: Yeah, yeah that, you saw that coming. <laughs> there you go. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, let's go back to the interview on that. Now, yeah. Okay? And welcome yeah, back uh, to the show, Jonathan.
2: Yes, uh, thank you again for uh, <laughs> hanging around. Most uh, guests are gone by now, but yeah. in any event the uh, let 's talk a little bit about uh, marketing bit American- an offer from letterman that 's a problem <laughs> yeah that 's <Yeah>. true <laughs> uh, let 's talk a little bit about American brands and, and marketing uh, American brands in Asia, Asia, and especially in light of the uh, n- recent negative image of the u s what, what kind of challenges are you uh, strapped with, Jonathan, when it comes to battling uh, let 's say less than favorable image of the u s
6: well, I think, I, I think what brands have to do is sort of separate um, where the brand comes from to where the brand is trying to connect with local consumers. So any kind of American imagery would probably not be not a good thing at this point. Right. Uh, but, you know, so what brands do is they use local talent. Uh, and most importantly, they'll use local insights to drive the, brand, the growth of their brands in local markets. Uh, we used Nike as an example before, but there's there are tons of other examples as well of how uh, companies will try to latch onto something that's important locally to drive growth. A good a good example, I'll give you an Asian example this time. Uh, Samsung, uh, five years ago in India, the two leading brands were uh, uh, Sony and Panasonic. Five years later, it's Samsung and LG. And the way Samsung did it is they started to support the Indian cricket team. And by supporting the Indian cricket team, they latched onto something that was emotionally relevant for Indians and then became uh, a very strong brand in India. And it's the same with, with any market, China included, for American brands as well. McDonald's just recently in Singapore launched a, uh, a burger called the Fantastic Burger. Fan in Chinese is rice, and it's actually a rice burger. Hmm. And on that basis, they've managed to latch onto something that's relevant locally. And by the same, tone, by the same token, it's coming from a multinational corporation that is American-based
2: interesting uh, idea I guess to get the local uh, local angle there you know um, I've mentioned uh, last segment and I want to come back to this uh, outstanding article that you wrote in uh, advertising age "Our brands becoming the export ideology of the 21st century and in that particular article you you talk about the shortcut strategy when it comes to global branding first describe the idea behind uh, and then if you could uh, behind the shortcut strategy and then if you could Jonathan give some examples that you're currently dealing with With uh, in Asia, with this particular strategy, and try not to use the word Nike when doing it this time. No, you must be working on Nike, or you must have just acquired that account.
6: No, no, no. Actually, I just acquired HP. But um, uh (laughs) well, there's a good plug. Mm -hmm. There's a good plug. Yeah. Um, The shortcut strategy takes it takes years to build a a brand, uh, to build brand equities that stick in consumers' minds. And so, what Chinese companies are starting to do is are recognizing. That the amount of time and effort it takes to, to build a brand is very expensive, and it might be just cheaper to hook up with a brand that's already got that equity and then lo- use that to, to propel themselves forward. Uh, so Lenovo went ahead and bought the uh, IBM's PC unit and instantly turned themselves from basically the, the largest IT brand in China into one of the most well-known brands in the world behind mm-hmm. the IBM PC. Uh, it was an interesting strategy. You know, it's still... There's still some questions on whether it will succeed, but um, but uh, it's a good strategy. Huawei, which is um, a very strong competitor with Cisco, is uh, has launched uh, has uh, you know gone into alignment with Three Com, and um, and then you've got a number of other companies like TCL, which is basically the largest uh, electronics company in China that's uh, gone into an alignment with Thompson of France, and by capturing the leg- the legacy and the equity of these established brands. Are hoping to uh, the Chinese companies are hoping to leapfrog gears of equity building and make themselves more established players overnight a lot of what's driving this is the 2008 Olympics because the Chinese government wants to turn the 2008 Olympics in Beijing into a milestone for the country and its uh, role as one of the most important uh, countries in the world <clears throat> in fact what's kind of interesting about their whole strategy is um, China was always historically known as the Middle Kingdom, as in the center of the Earth. And what they want to do is they want to become the Middle Kingdom again, which is basically the center of the Earth's uh, political profile. And they're using the Olympics and they're using their brands uh, to, to help drive towards the strategic goal. It's a, it's a very it's, it's an interesting thing to watch, I have to say.
2: Do you think it's achievable?
6: Oh, yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, China... Yeah. Um, It's funny, you don't see as much in in the U.S., but in this part of the world, China has become the 800-pound gorilla. Hmm. And uh, even though Japan recently has gotten out of its funk and it's starting to grow again economically, and it's still a larger economy than China, politically, China is far more powerful in Asia. Everything is starting to center around China
2: you know, staying with the uh, – the, since you talk, brought up Chinese and the China market, uh, you know, it's, we, we probably had to hold that, Brad. We've got, well, you're right. We only got got have about 20
1: seconds. 20 of. seconds yeah. or so, so yeah. – you want to tease the question, maybe. maybe? Well, sure. Okay, hold on.
2: Come on over here, cutie. No, <laughs> you mean mention this question before yeah, we go. Yeah. Easy. Well, we're going to talk about Chinese uh, consumers uh, that, you know, for a long time, I think we all know that they're hard-nosed bargainers, and uh, we'll just talk about how hard-nosed they are in
1: <laughs> China. Kind of like this stop set here on the Advertising Show, commercial break, and back with more uh, with Ray and and Brad Forsyth, the uh, Advertising Showcase on the way in just a few minutes. Stay with us.
0: make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy this is the advertising show
1: This is the Advertising Show, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, and Jonathan Holbert, our guest. uh, uh, He'll be back with us next hour as well, okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, out of uh, Singapore. Uh, Holbert Consulting, and when Jonathan said he didn't have a website, um, we're thinking, uh, no, Jonathan, you need a website, okay? Okay. So he's getting one now. He's going to get one because we made the recommendation. Right. So I think that's great. Anyway, a lot of good conversations still to come with Jonathan in hour number two. A lot of good stuff to come your way. This hour, as well, in just a little while, we have uh, the advertising showcase featuring some cool stuff as well. Uh, So I found this very interesting. This is from MSNBC.com. There's Mm -hmm. news beyond Katie Couric. Uh, There are far more ads for fast food and snacks on black-oriented TV than on channels with more general programming. Researchers report in a provocative study that suggests a link to uh, high obesity rates in black children. You know, I get so angry, too, as well, about... Targeting advertiser, excuse me, targeting advertisers here because didn't are really, just talking about it. exactly. Well, I'm, I'm drinking my diet Pepsi. Um, they, they really ought to be targeting the parents and say, "Come on, you guys! If, if you don't buy that stuff, they're not going to eat it." Okay? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I just have a problem well, with uh, blaming advertisers for making kids fat. You got to be kidding me,
2: right? And but the, although I must say, you know, when you and I were children. They had better choices, you know. We just had better choices out there, and we, you, you know. Do you
1: really think they did, though? I mean, seriously, you think they had better choices?
2: I think overall, uh, you know, we were eating less processed food at home. Okay, that makes when, sense. When, sure. when we did go out to eat uh, at a McDonald's, you had one choice. It was a order of fries. It wasn't super size it wasn't or large medium or small. Okay, I see what you're saying. And it was just yeah. a single burger. They didn't have. You know, I, I didn't know this. I saw it the other day, Ray. Uh, I don't. I don't go into McDonald's and haven't for a long time. But uh, in keeping with the "let's eat large portions," it blew me away. I saw a, a fish fillet commercial for McDonald's the other day, and I right. thought, "Well, I used to eat those fish fillets back when, uh, just to have something different after you go to McDonald's, you know, four days in a row." Mm-hmm. But here they show you can either get a fish fillet or a double fish fillet. I mean, come on. You get two of them stacked on top of one another with the bun. I mean, wh- wh- how clever was that? Let's just give them more and charge them twice as much. It's more,
1: more, more than twice as much or
2: something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Maybe fish wasn't moving as quickly as they thought. So <laughs> consequently, we need to sell some more fish.
2: Have you seen that?
1: No, I really haven't. Yeah. I, was, I was in a Wendy's. I like the original uh, Wendy's square stuff. burger. The square, yeah. And they still have square burgers, but they've gotten into so many different things. Uh, yep. Earlier today, I had a turkey and Swiss on some type of bread that they've named. They've that claimed is. their own name. It's it's not. Uh, I don't even know what it's called. But uh, huh. it wasn't bad. The only bad thing is it had it had a lot of mayo on it, which I wouldn't have put on it. But uh, that's okay. But yeah. you no, know, they, they this study uh, comes from a study. that lasted one week in the summer. Which may have some, uh, you know, uh, variables on the study. Commercials on uh, BET, Black Entertainment Television, the nation's first black targeted cable channel, were uh, compared with ads during the afternoon and evening shows on the WB network and on the Disney channel. Of the uh, nearly 1,100 ads, more than half were for fast food and drinks such as sodas. Sixty-six uh, percent hmm. of the fast food ads be on tea, BET compared with 34 on the WB and none
2: on Disney. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, anyway, I, I, don't, I don't know. You, you know who Wally Snyder is, right? Yes, yes. President and CEO of American Ad Federation.
1: A hundred years old this year. Congratulations. Well, not on him. The, oh, Federation. the Ad Federation, yeah. Right. I Even
2: though it may be close. It's a close call. But, uh, you know, we're, we're both friends of uh, Wally Snyder, and we mm-hmm. think he does an outstanding job for AAF and... I was a little surprised. It's not necessarily that it's Wally's idea, but his face and name is connected to it. I've been spammed four times by Wally Snyder AAF CEO trying to get me to subscribe to the uh, AAF Smart Brief. Well, I already subscribed to the AAF Smart Brief, and he gave me one shot. Then he gave me a second shot. He says, "Now don't forget." And this goes on about four or five times over the last two weeks. I decided to print this out so I could be reminded to talk about it and in very small type on this one page it says if you are already an aaf smart brief subscriber please excuse us we must have multiple email addresses for you to stop further emails to this address click here rest assured your other subscriptions won't be affected and that's in small <laughs> type at the very bottom but of all comp- of, lo- of all organizations the american ad federation just to just be spamming people, people. and i got to tell you yeah, and you and I agree. Smart Brief, the AAF Smart Brief, That's if incredible. you don't subscribe, it's a great great uh, place to go. It's a, to it's go a to... daily feature. It's wonderful, yep. yeah. And you get a bunch of uh, links all on one page, and it's some good stuff. It's right up there with uh, one of our associate uh, members, the uh, IWantMedia.com. I think it's uh, not oh, yeah. as good as IWantMedia.com, but it's up there. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, yeah. Wally. If you want to get spammed yeah. by Wally, go to AAF.org, okay? Yeah,
2: let's all spam him back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. Not a good idea. Uh, On the Advertising Show, Advertising Showcase is on the way with uh, Ray Shillings and Brad
0: Forsyth. Simplifying the complex world of advertising. To reach Ray and Brad with your questions, log on to theadvertisingshow.com. This is the Advertising Show.
5: Meet Mr. Clean. Procter & Gamble's new all-purpose liquid cleaner. Mr. Clean gets rid of dirt and grime and grease in just a minute. Mr. Clean will
4: clean your whole house.
1: Being a former uh, client for, uh, for our special guest, uh, this, uh, this advertising show, Jonathan Holbert, he's probably got a, a lifetime
2: supply of Mr. Clean. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, looks a little like him, too, I hear. Oh, does he really? No, okay. I don't know. Okay. I haven't seen a picture.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I've not seen, because he doesn't have a
2: website, okay? I like the earring, though. Yeah. They actually brought back Mr. Clean. Uh, we were at a food
1: show, uh, and, and there was Mr. Clean standing there in white pants really? and a T-shirt, and is like, he's aging he Yeah, he's very young and muscular, too, so yeah. apparently that stuff is good for you. <laughs> Every week we look at the, uh, the upside and the downside of advertising, and you know, we have some streaks here, kind of like uh, your favorite ball team. Uh, we have uh, some good stuff for you this week. Let's listen.
0: And now it's time for the Advertising Show's Advertising Showcase, an outstanding example of on-target advertising. For the good stuff, here's Ray and Brad.
1: And it's good. I like that.
2: What do you have there? Well, I could have made it to bad advertising and just, you know, raked Wally over the coals as we did last segment. But instead, this is an advertiser showcase. And if you've been watching the uh, NCAA basketball tournament, or as they say back east, tournament, uh, semifinals or finals, then perhaps you've seen this particular effort from uh, Wyden & Kennedy uh, with the help of uh, Wyden & Kennedy's Am- Amsterdam, the Netherlands office. It's uh, for Coke. And this particular spot, uh, as I said, out of Amsterdam's office uh uh, White and Kennedy's Amsterdam office is an outstanding example of what, what, uh, I think you'll, you'll see that, uh, it's a great idea and it's a return to the old school of, uh, branding Coke. The spot opens, if you haven't seen it, with a shot of an older man, Ray, starting, uh, staring at a painting. And then the camera zooms out to reveal that the man is actually sitting on a couch in a nursing home. And then a nurse, uh, is wheeling a full cart of glass bottles as she enters the scene and she leans over and says, Mr. Adley? Would you like a Coke? And he responds, never had one. And the nurse hands the old man a Coke, uh, and he takes a sip, and he goes, what else haven't I done? Of course. So from there, we begin to see a series of adventures this old man uh, t- it takes, and presumably uh, he's calling a long-lost uh, female friend of his, and he says uh, to her on the phone, I've always loved you. And then we, <laughs> then we hear the dial tone uh, uh, inferring that Doris hung up the phone on him, and then... Uh, and then uh, what do we do? We go from there to where we see the old man outside a house, and he, he this thirty-something guy answers the door, and uh, he and the uh, Mister Adley says, "I'm your real dad," <laughs> and the and the mom say, and the kid yells out, "Mom!" Uh, it's okay. Next, we see this uh, old man standing at the Forest Glen nudist colony, uh, and uh, later on we see him getting a tattoo, and from there he does a uh, dive off of a platform diving board. Uh, interesting little scenario here where he's laying in bed with two blondes uh, under each arm and he, he looks into the camera and says twins uh, and, it, and this goes on and on until the, the spot eventually concludes where uh, the old man is walking in a crowd of people uh, on the street drinking a bottle of coke uh, reminiscent of old uh, group coke uh, shots that we've seen of uh, people all enjoying cokes and the spot ends, closes with the red swirling coca cola label if you've seen any uh, spots lately of this new camp it 's a fairly interesting uh, graphic uh uh, clothes that they're using out on all the uh, on all the uh, TV for Coke and the new slogan that they have introduced with this new campaign, uh, the Coke side of life. Now, yes. you know, if you haven't seen that spot, when you see it, you will, uh, I'm sure, agree with me that it, it you know, here, here's Coke finally getting back to connecting with today's consumer in, in a way that, you know, really really does ring true to the to the brand strategy, uh, the brand promise, I should say, and not unlike uh, old campaign in particular. Uh, Coke and the smile campaign from back in the day. Uh, This particular Coke product, uh, I'm sorry, this particular Coke uh, campaign, I should say, uh, gets the Coke product front and center. Uh, but yet the product itself is interwoven in such a way that the viewer feels that uh, he or she is engaged with a lifestyle, necess- not necessarily just a hit me over the head with your brand message, but really engages the listener, I think, to, uh, you know, feel that they are identifying with a lifestyle as well as the brand itself. And it seems to me, Ray, I don't know about you, but many advertisers today feel compelled, I think, to reach out and grab the consumer's attention at all costs because they hear so much and read so much about how consumers aren't interested in commercial messages or zapping or whatever the case sure, may be exactly. and here's an example where Coke is taking a slices of life campaign and a, and a very creative approach and, and, a, and a style that you don't see so much uh, as much today and it's a bit risky I think to be uh, with this 60 second spot being a, a spot that is not you know so much uh, reach out and grab you by the neck and get your attention but really has a, a storyline that connects with uh, with their target. So congratulations to Coke Mm -hmm. for its uh, willingness to return to its roots with a great uh, and somewhat, as I said, perhaps risky lifestyle campaign. And more importantly, hats off to Wyden and Kennedy for this week's advertiser showcase item of the week. And they could use some good news at Coke,
1: okay? Uh, yeah, Things are not been, have not been looking up lately, so it's and,
2: nice and it. They're so big, you know, you lose a point or two, and you're talking about a whole bunch of money. But, yeah, and I think there's some lifestyle things going on there, Ray. I mean, you know, a lot of people drink water nowadays, and they're getting away from the the sugar-based drinks. And, sure, you know, exactly. Coke has some challenges with that.
1: Yeah, we were talking about high blood pressure, uh, which is not a good we thing were? to have. Well, oh, you I, mean I was, off the uh, air. Off the air. Sam. and uh <laughs> no <laughs> and uh, the fact that carbonated beverages are just not good for you uh yeah. so unless they're micro brews i've heard that's uh, you know it's something to look into
2: micro brews with the soft drinks not the beer
1: yeah micro just micro brews pal that's all that's all i need
2: oh brews i ah, okay. exactly there.
1: so i had no. an
2: anchor steam the other day did you really yeah you've you've had those
1: yeah, that's out of I, San Francisco. I, I We've had the St. Arnold stuff. It's very good. St. Arnold.
2: Yeah. That's your local beer in Houston. Very, yeah. very good.
1: It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, we, have, uh, we have more uh, to come next hour uh, with our special guest, Jonathan Holbert, out of Singapore this weekend on The Advertising Show at com. You're probably there right now, and that's a good thing, whether you're listening uh, uh, in the United States or in Europe or in Asia. We're uh, glad to have you as uh, uh, locked into The Advertising Show as we stream the uh, show live. We've got those podcasts and RSS feeds, and the whole thing is made possible by... The people yeah. of Johnson Wax.
2: No, uh,
1: Ed dot <laughs> Schiple, uh, com. It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. And Ed is a very creative guy when it comes to web marketing. So Even though he
2: doesn't do any of the
1: work. No, he has uh, he has his... Uh, the lady who cleans his house actually does the work. That's <laughs> That's <really brutal>. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Advertising no. Show brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at com. The Advertising Show is a big Radio Midgets
0: production. Welcome to the Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth.
1: Well, we promised you an hour or two, and we're delivering, and you didn't even have to put a quarter in the jukebox to play this thing, okay? It's uh, hmm. it's hour number two of the advertising show. Brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. You can visit online at age.com the advertising show, a big radio midgets production. And we have a special guest, Jonathan Holbert of Singapore, back with us here in for a couple of segments uh, this hour. Also, uh, in just a few moments, it's Patrick Myers, the Marketing Insider. He's going to talk about Content Express. Uh, we'll find out what that is all about. And a little bit later on this hour, Andy Borowitz has his feature. And who else do we have? Uh, oh yeah, Jeffrey Gittimer. No risk, no nothing. And <laughs> yes, Jeffrey has a new book, uh, and it's pretty cool. So anyway, uh, we'll get
2: we'll get him back on the show, I guess. Yeah,
1: I think we need to. It's it's some cool stuff there. Well, he's got a lot of stuff going on, on his website. Talk about a guy who knows how to. Market himself uh, via the web. He uh, Mm -hmm. he's got some good stuff going on. Have a before we play Patrick. This is an Mm -hmm. interesting. uh, The uh, Seattle Post Intelligencer, Mm -hmm. uh, and it says ads get us to buy a piece of the past. Okay, and uh, this this is out of Spokane. It -hmm. says, does that advertisement showing mom making checks mix in the '60s make you cry? Nah. nah. Uh, Does the recent Coke ad showing people uh, again wanting to teach the world a thing make you long for the age of Aquarius? No, no. Not really. uh, when you see pictures of the uh, old muscle cars, do you want to buy a, a new uh, Dodge Challenger? I was no. never a fan of muscle cars, so consequently, it's no there. When Leonard Nimoy uh, finally spreads his fingers for the Vulcan salute, are you ready to buy a leave? No, no. Uh, but it says here um, there are examples of nostalgia advertising, a successful they're calling it, but little studied branch of marketing. Uh, researchers at Washington State are studying why nostalgia ads work. They contend the baby boomers age into their 60s. Such ads are likely to become much more common because, after all, there's a whole bunch of us out there. By the way, I, my wife signed me up for AARP, right? And uh, I get AA? AARP. Oh, okay. Just know the whole thing. <laughs> and if, it's a really fitting thing because the paul mccartney is on the uh, is on the front cover of the least, AARP magazine paul and the, uh, the the title is when i'm 64 paul mccartney is 64 years old so all of a sudden my first issue of AARP magazine did not make mm-hmm. me feel too bad
2: because yeah, paul well, looks good. good on the cover there That's good. And by the way, before I forget, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I decided to run a little test, and so I went out and got some Ambien. And uh, I'm not saying that I did anything while I was asleep that I didn't know for sure. Yeah. But I did wake up with a toothpick in my mouth. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know
1: how that happened. Well, as long as it was in your mouth and someplace <laughs> else, that, that's good. Okay. Yes.
2: Oh, very interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I heard about that. that the, the ambient date, is that what you're talking about?
2: Well, apparently people are eating in their sleep. They're driving in their sleep. They're not really asleep. They're kind of asleep. They're uh, having yeah. sex
1: in their sleep.
2: Well, I do that anyway, but uh, that's without Ambien.
1: <laughs> we didn't need to know that, though. That's, no, we didn't need to know that. <laughs> too much information
2: here. Oh, sorry. Okay. I'm funny. sorry. That's funny. So, yeah, Ambien.
1: You like Ambien,
2: huh? Well, it's a good way to do things, and then you can blame it on the Ambien.
1: Okay, try margarita instead. Okay, it works pretty good too as well.
2: Can't stay awake
1: on the on the advertising show. It's time to check in with Patrick Meyer.
7: Welcome
3: to Understanding the Future Now. It's the Marketing Insider, featuring Patrick Meyer.
7: Today I'm going to talk to you about a thing that I call Content Express. We were presenting to one of our top clients a roadmap on how to take technology and combine it with marketing to drive their business forward. So all the new things that are emerging over the next two, three years and where it's going, and to identify those corridors that they tap into to drive their marketing forward. The advertising manager then said... There's no way that Madison Avenue can do this. It takes us two months to get a commercial done. How can we create content to go out on cell phones and video on demand, stuff that's done that's fresh and topical done over a weekend? My response was, you need to understand, Madison Avenue and the big agencies are definitely not in a position to deal with the need that I call Content Express. Let me tell you what the future holds. A group of people on Max, two or three people With a template that's tied into what the brand is all about. Taking content, video content, audio content, and manipulating it overnight and pumping it out through pipes or channels, on cell phones, video on demand, through retail and other conduits. That is what's coming. That's what I call Content Express. That might be two to three people, one client dealing with a preset format that's strategic and grounded, but it's instant, fresh, topical content. So, my friends, my message to you is ask your agencies, how do we create Content Express? And if they can't get there, there are emerging boutiques, film schools, and many people that you could bring in-house to get this done. So try it. Content Express, it's coming quick. You've been listening to The Marketing Insider, heard every week here on The
3: Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing.
7: I'm Patrick Meyer, and remember, the marketing revolution is now.
1: And with Content Express, you're allowed one carry-on. That's it. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. that's something different. Okay. That's always good stuff. Oh yeah, Patrick's uh, definitely uh, cutting edge. Matter of fact, sometimes he's bleeding edge, but that's okay. We allow to <laughs> do that as well. Content Express, what a concept, huh?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Once again, if you're a, a, a person who is doing marketing and advertising, and you're not thinking along those lines, uh oh. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're preparing your old catalog to ship out at the end of the month. Or a direct mail piece. Yeah. Uh, no, there's other ways to do it, a lot better as well.
2: So, yeah. that's a, Hey, that's you cool. know, if I were to mention one of the fastest-growing media last year, oh you you'd probably be surprised to know that outdoor advertising grew by 8% wow. to more than $6.3 billion, according to the uh, OAAA. Uh, and the uh, interesting part about this, across Outdoor's top ten advertising categories, Ray, which account for more than 80% of the medium's uh, revenue, advertising was up in seven of the top ten categories, and some of those categories in order of their uh, uh, percentages here. Well, no, not necessarily. I'm looking now. But anyway, some of those uh, categories that, that were on the rise were services and amusement, mm-hmm. uh, media and advertising, uh, retail. Uh, insurance and real estate as well as financial restaurants and communications. Communications, I assume, they mean like uh, telephone, telephony, that kind of thing, as opposed to communications meaning media and advertising, which is also communications just in a different way. Mm <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Is that a dot 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 or is it a period? I think it's both. Okay. Good. Okay. You can run out of dot brain. dot dot and then period. Period. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. I, you know, uh, mostly called new ads here uh, for uh, what is this uh, through uh, the twenty sixth of March. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying the Windex ad. You've seen that ad. The birds uh, playing the joke on the man. Beginning to. open That's a great spot. Good spot. Yeah. Diet uh, Diet Pepsi has one. Jay Moore negotiating a movie deal with Jackie Chan. I haven't seen that one so. You know the guy, right? The Former comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't uh, don't recall seeing that. Uh, the two K video games, twenty four, the game. Haven't seen that one. Okay, mm-hmm. watching the wrong ones. Comcast is high speed internet. A, uh, a turtle, a couple on a sofa talk about being slow and liking slow <laughs> DSL. I've seen that one. That was a funny spot.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Sierra Mist is another one. It's uh, uh, the one with the Kathy, uh, the the comedian Kathy. Uh you know, what about The redhead?
1: No, nah, I don't think so. Okay. This one. This one says uh, free man comes to Lost and Found. Lost bottle of Sierra Mix. Mist. Uh, the other man drinks it and asks to speak with uh, his manager. Hmm. Uh-huh. Burger King has a Whopper. I will tell you that Burger King thing really scares me. Uh, the guy? I, pick. <laughs> I think They <laughs> yeah. need to find another icon for
2: the bouquet king or whatever. Yep, the yeah. Plastic man who just that looks at you. Yeah. Weird. Okay. He's had Botox. A lot. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> We've got uh,
1: Jonathan Holberg back with us here for a couple of segments on the advertising show, and we hope that you'll stay with us, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth.
0: Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth.
3: Rage here! Ray. 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 Yes, please! New bug killer
1: discovery from Johnson's Wax. Yes, sir, just put that Johnson's Wax on your floor, and the bugs die. Yeah, and so does anything else that hits the floor. You don't need mm-hmm. food off the floor with Johnson's Wax, I guess. Try not their to. slogan. Uh, to. Uh, we promised Jonathan Holbert uh, back this hour out of Singapore, and we've got him here for our next uh, couple of segments here. Jonathan is a CEO of Holbert Consulting, and uh, Jonathan, it's a pleasure to have you here on the on the advertising show. Thanks for yep. being here.
2: Yeah, and you know, it was so long ago, a couple, three segments ago, that we uh, teased a uh a question, and if you weren't with us, we're going to tee it up again. You know, as I mentioned, uh, Jonathan, you know, it's no secret. Ray and I were talking about this uh, in between uh, the breaks, and it's no secret that Chinese shoppers have long been known, and I think in a, in a positive way, as, as hard-nosed bargainers. And I understand that now, have some of them have started uh, shopping teams uh, to, to uh, shall I say, haggle for greater uh, leverage? And uh, I thought this was a bit of an unusual uh, strategy with the Chinese consumer and in particular, I guess, is something that's now trending in in the Chinese market. Can you talk a little bit about that, Jonathan?
6: Well, I think it's uh, it's funny. Yes, Chinese are hard-nosed bargainers, especially when it's for services and stuff. But by the same token, they'll, they'll pay for value. Um, when I was working on Procter & Gamble, uh, a bottle of Head & Shoulders would be like a day's wages. It was that expensive. Wow. Yet, um, and it was an anti dander shampoo. So, you know, in the U.S., if you bought Head and Shoulders, it was like, oh God, this guy has a problem. You know. So, <laughs> and uh, but Chinese consumers would spend that kind of money because they felt the brand itself carried such value that it was worth spending that that portion of their their income on this bottle of shampoo. Uh, by the same token, they will be you know the largest luxury goods market within the next five years. So. On the one hand, yes, they will be hard bargainers on things that they feel, you know, they can get cheaper or don't have a perceived brand value, but by the same token, they'll pay a lot of money for something that they feel does have that, you know, perceived brand value, which makes building those brand equities that much more important.
2: So is it is it just a uh, is it not is it a mis- is it a misnomer I guess is the word I'm looking for that that some Chinese uh, enter department stores for example and treat price tags as mere starting points and there's haggling going on in that kind of environment
6: uh, there I'm sure there's plenty of Chinese who would do that and I think it's mainly just a cultural thing that if they come from rural areas uh, the starting price is just that of starting price and you negotiate downwards from there uh, but that's uh, I, I would be surprised if an urban chinese would take that perspective but i would not be surprised if a rural chinese or a chinese from a third tier or second tier market would and it's just a cultural thing i, I just think it's more uh, a fact that in any in fact it wouldn't be just the truth in the, china would be true in any of the major emerging markets where people um who aren't used to the way p- uh, goods are sold in, in urban areas will treat a price tag as just a starting point for
2: negotiation yeah, I, I, I'm sorry to just stay on China because I find it uh, so intriguing. I th- hope our audience does as well. A lot of the other Asian markets many of us are familiar with, but uh, in particular the Chinese emerging, emerging market, uh, China market is such uh, such an uh, unusual and intri- interesting and intriguing uh, market that we uh, over here, I think, do not have uh, the insight certainly that you would have. Do you think uh, China has has begun to develop a creative culture as it relates to the, uh, the advertising and, and marketing community and I'm curious, how does, the, how does the Chinese business community view creativity?
6: Oh, I think the feeling right now, well yeah, they are starting to develop a, a, a very strong advertising business, but in terms of creativity, it's still a very literal, for the most part, it's very little literal marketing. People want to be told more about the product, they want to be educated a bit more about the product uh, then once they've been educated then they'll buy it uh, in terms of how you drive the image, uh, the image has to be perceived in a way that's, uh, again, aspirational. Uh, so how you dress the, the talent, how you make them look, how you make them up will all drive you know, whether or not this product will be bought. Uh, so it's a lot more literal, a lot less creative, um, a lot less lateral in terms of communication, a lot more linear. Um, but uh, but it, you know, it's changing so rapidly in China that you know, next year it could be very different. Um, the change that's happening in China has just been immense. When I first went there in 1981, uh, there were oh god, how would you describe it? Shanghai probably had 20 cars, and 19 of them were taxis, and the rest, oh and everything else was just bicycles and buses and people on foot. Wow. And then I came back uh, eight years later on business, and I had a hotel car booked, and uh, went to the hotel uh, hotel stand, and I said, "Do you have a car for me?" They said, "Well, sorry, sir, for some reason we don't." I said, "Well, how am I going to get to the hotel?" And I had this image in my mind of, of just uh, no taxis, of just buses and bicycles on the way to get to mm-hmm. the, uh, the hotel. And they said, "We'll just take a taxi." When I walked out, it was uh, a line of 300 taxis, and it was uh, the traffic was so jammed in those eight years that it, it became uh, my nickname for Shanghai was Bangkok on the Wangpu. Huh.
2: So the business environment has changed considerably, I would imagine, the last uh, since you since you went there in the early 80s, huh?
6: Oh, God. Oh, the whole place is just, it's, just, it's the the most um, complete revolution of a, a culture I've ever seen in my life.
2: Accelerated uh, more in the past? Uh, would you say it's accelerated, uh, changed a lot in the past, what, three, four, five years, ten years? What, what, what's the time frame there?
6: I would say the um, the change has been rapid ever since the early 80s, but it's been accelerated in the last five years.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, at one point, Tiny. I think Shanghai had uh, one quarter of the, the cranes in the world located in the city. Hmm. Uh, there was that much building going on in Shanghai, and it's still the building going on in China is still immense, unbelievable.
2: And the acceleration pegged to any particular point in, in history five years ago? Anything happened in particular to accelerate the I think growth?
6: The tipping point happened. I think everybody realized they could make money in China, and then the investment started to increase that much more rapidly. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Chinese government also invested very heavily in infrastructure. Uh, one of the things that China is trying to do is they're trying to be the first in a lot of things. So, for example, the fastest train in the world is not in Germany, and it's not in Japan, it's actually in China. Wow. Uh, the magnetic levitation train, or maglev train, runs from uh, Shanghai's Pudong Airport into, um, into the edge of the city, and it travels at, well, 250 miles an hour, 400 kilometers an hour. And uh, it, 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 it does in eight minutes what a taxi will take in one hour,
2: hmm.
6: with no traffic.
2: Wow. <laughs> And you speak, uh, I assume you speak the language?
6: No, I just speak a few words. Yeah? Um, Czech, please? There. I can pull what's that?
2: Like, Czech, Check, please? Actually, <laughs>
6: <Yeah. laughs> Actually, Czech's an international word. You say yeah, Czech no, anywhere they know it. There.
2: Right, right. <laughs> Except for Czechoslovakia. Except in Poland, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah Czechoslovakia. Exactly. They say, uh, don't call me Czech. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 250. <laughs> but, uh, so y-
1: and, and there's one city that has the, the uh, tallest building as well. Is that over uh, there? It's, it's Singapore, huge... isn't it? it? It is Singapore. I thought, at least, huh? No, it's no, no, Taipei. Taipei. Oh, world. Taipei. I Taipei. Okay. 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 okay, we missed it by a few neighbors. Well, we there.
2: we didn't take that earlier left. Remember, right?
1: You know, I hated geography. That's the way it goes. <laughs> on the advertising show, it's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Our special guest is Jonathan Holbert out of Singapore. Holbert Consulting is the uh, the company, and uh, we're going to tell you more about him as we continue this interview in uh, just a few moments on the advertising show. It's uh, theadvertisingshow.com, an incredibly cool website you can go to to uh, visit for uh, all of the latest media news. Lots of great links on there, including RSS and podcast feeds. And we uh, invite you uh, to take uh, take advantage of those as well. It's a good chance you're listening to The Advertising Show, uh, either in its uh, live state or in its uh, podcast state as well. So check it out if you haven't been there, okay, theadvertisingshow.com. Back with more in a moment.
3: Quick Takes on Sales and Customer Relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey.
5: You ever heard the old expression no risk, no reward? Sure you have. Well I say no risk, no nothing. All creative people take risks. It's the nature of the process. Daring to think something new or try something new? Come on, you can do it. The best example of creative failure I can give you is Thomas Edison. He's also the best example of creative success. He thought, he studied, he tried, he risked, and he failed thousands of times. He also succeeded big time. Thousands of brilliant inventions and ideas Tens of thousands of failed ideas. Wherever your creativity takes you, risk comes along for the ride. It's a natural part of the process. Enjoy the thrill of it like you would some roller coaster ride. Listen, if you play baseball and you fail to get a hit two out of three times for 20 years, you'll go to the Hall of Fame with a three hundred thirty three batting average as one of the greatest who ever played the game. The key is for you to have the courage to take the risk. And if you have a little bit of self-confidence, I promise you courage will come along for the ride. Go for it. Quick
3: takes on sales and customer relations from The Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. And tune in next week when we'll hear
5: Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer, reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, it may be because your ad sucks.
0: Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show.
4: What a happy sound! Snap is the happiest sound I found. You may clap.
1: Advertising show Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, and our special guest for one final segment out of Singapore, where we won't even figure out what time it is there. It's Jonathan Holbert, the CEO of uh, Holbert Consulting, and for uh, one final segment, Jonathan, it's great to have you here on the advertising show. Welcome back. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and uh, Ray and I were talking during the break. We decided that since it is tomorrow in Singapore, we want you to check the lottery numbers in tomorrow's paper <laughs> and let us know what those are so that we can uh, go ahead and register. Uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, Ray, in reading uh, Jonathan's bio, that uh, he, he's a published author, a uh, novelist in particular, and he's in right. the process of optioning this, uh, his uh, novel for a movie. So, obviously, I mean, you didn't put the title in there in mean, your bio, Jonathan. Is it x ray I mean, why aren't you leading with the title? And number two, who is your publisher? While I'm thinking about it,
6: oh, publishers a company called Flame of the Forest, and uh,
2: don't go I, broke back Mountain on us now.
6: No, 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 no. The title Flame called, of the Forest. <laughs> yeah. the, the title is called Q uh, which uh, which means the Imperial Palace in Japanese. Ah. And it's, and it's about a uh, ex-SAS commando who breaks into the Imperial Palace in Japan to steal three sacred regalia: a sword, a mirror, a jewel. For the for a yakuza billionaire, without, oh, by the way, without which no emperor can rule because they all need the sword mirror and jewel. For a yakuza billionaire whose family lost the throne of Japan six hundred years before.
2: Wow!
1: I so, hate to tell you that was done before, Jonathan. That's called happy days. Okay, so yeah.
6: sorry about that.
2: Tom. <laughs> right. Well, and plus you don't have to buy the book now. You just told us the story. Yeah. When did the book come out, Jonathan? Happy
6: ending. Uh, it came out nine years ago.
2: Yeah, and how's it how's it doing in sales? Uh, it's
6: okay. I mean, it's sold about ten thousand copies. Oh, um, that's decent. Yeah, it's not bad. The uh, and it sells on Amazon. The the uh, RGM Associates, which is a Sydney-based uh, outfit, uh, has been negotiations with my publisher and I to, for the movie rights for the last four months. And the woman who um, who runs it is a woman named Robin Gardner, who's Kate Blanchett's agent. And so, yeah, we'll see what happens. We're still in and, negotiations on it.
2: And so it'll be an, an Australian uh, uh, filmmaker that will uh, shoot the film, or is this just the uh, negotiation for the script?
6: Oh, just the negotiations. I mean, she's got offices in Sydney, and she's got offices in L.A., so, uh, I mean, she's based there, but, it, you know, it'll probably be an L.A. Uh, outfit that does the shooting, I would think.
1: Okay, uh, I Brad, Brad would like to play uh, Barney Miller on that movie, and I'll be Barney Fife. Okay, would that work for you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I see a free trip to, Lund- uh, to L.A. coming up yeah, soon. really. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the rise of uh, leveraging China and and India in particular uh, for secondary markets like Vietnam uh, and soon Indonesia. I know in a lot of cases uh, these larger markets leverage their uh, brands to open up some of these secondary markets. What can you share with us that uh, we might not understand about this process, Jonathan?
6: Oh, okay. Well, one of the things you were talking about is how uh, fascinated you were about the rise of China one of the things that uh, has driven the growth of Asia has, in fact, been the rise of China. Uh, what happened was China uh, opened up its markets back in 1980, I think it was, when D- uh, Deng Xiaoping, who was then leader, said it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whether a, a cat is black or white as long as it catches mice. And um, so then everything was focused on driving their economy. And they have, you know, they have a, they've had a lot of issues with corruption, which they've combated. and They've had a lot of issues with transparency, which they're combating. But uh, economically, they've grown so rapidly, so quickly, uh, that their economic power has translated into political power. And Vietnam, for example, Vietnam's a good example, is has always been a historical enemy of China. And they've always been a very doctrinaire communist country as well. And they watched how fast uh, China has grown, how, fast, how powerful China has grown, and how quickly they've done it through economic progress. And because of that... Um, reformists within the Vietnamese government were able to drive through the kinds of reforms that have allowed Vietnam to emulate China in terms of the economic opening to, to Western companies, or overseas companies, I should say, not just Western, Western and big Asian companies like Samsung and the Japanese ones. Hmm. So it's, um, so China's role as, in terms of driving progress in the region has really been understated. Uh, they have Because they've done so well, they have convinced these other countries to change their policies, same with India. India was always, again, an historical competitor of China. They fought a very bad border war in the early '60s, and um, and again, India, you know, looked at how successful China has been, how powerful it had, it had grown, and again, the reformists within India said, "We have to change the way we do business; otherwise, we're just going to be uh, pawns of China because China obviously has got the magic formula." So, China's um, uh, role in the region has been very significant in driving reforms in a lot of these countries.
2: And how is uh, to, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry excuse me I was going I'm curious how does uh, tourism hold up in Asian markets I know a lot of people travel to China now and the, the wall being a big uh, tourist attraction there and Vietnam also following in behind as a, a, a growing market for tourism. I'm curious just overall uh, both uh, Asian as well as uh, Indonesia how those markets are doing with the tourism.
6: Uh, pretty good. Indonesia is having problems, but they're having problems because of all the terrorist incidents right. and uh, the, the, the warnings from various governments like the U.S. and Australia about uh, possible terrorist attacks. But otherwise, I would say tourism as part of the world is doing very well. Indian tourism is up dramatically. Uh, certainly China's tourism is up dramatically. It's, uh, I would say it's only really Indonesia that's, that's down, as far as I can tell. Thailand is down because of the recent political problems. Uh, even the problems that they've had in the south with the um, Muslim separatists have not really, have not really affected uh, Thai tourism that much, but the recent political problems with the prime minister stepping down it, have, have affected it quite a bit.
1: We are, unfortunately, uh, believe it or not, out of time. Go so quickly, too, Brad, Uh, when you have a great guest like Jonathan. Absolutely. Hey, Jonathan, I want to wish you uh, best of luck on the uh, the option for the movies as well. Remember, call our agents. We're in the book, okay? (laughs) And uh, (laughs) thanks for being a part of the advertising show. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Jonathan. Back in a moment with more.
0: You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth.
3: From San
1: Francisco comes
5: Rice a the San Francisco
4: treat. Rice
1: a-roni. You're on The Advertising Show, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth here at TheAdvertisingShow.com. And uh, we thank uh, Jonathan Holbert for being with us. Uh, next week we have, for your listening pleasure, and this gentleman is actually in uh, uh, somewhere in Britain. Right? Mm -hmm. Dick Stroud, and uh, he's the author of The 50 Plus Market. We were talking about uh, AARP and all that kind of good stuff. The fact that Paul McCartney is 64 years old. And uh, the both you and I are getting older, so this will be a real interesting interview. And it's Dick Stroud next week uh, on the Advertising Show.
2: And as you say, out of the UK, we're going the other direction across the pond, as they say. Today's guest out of Singapore. Uh, it's worldwide, and we enjoy uh, everybody's uh, tapping into the Advertising Show dot com as a great source for. Uh, Connecting Stuff. up with us, no matter where you are. That's true, which yeah. is what, uh, what Patrick Meyer talked about in just a little
1: while ago. Yeah. Uh, this is an interesting thing out of Information Week. It is, um, uh, It says, Dell, Apple lead in brand trust. Microsoft is dead last. Hmm. It's a Forrester Research survey. Uh, also showed an across-the-board drop-in trust in personal computer and consumer electronic brands in general. Interesting, huh? Bose, Dell, Apple Computer, leading technology brands trusted by U.S. consumers. Hmm. Uh, A new survey from the Forrester Research uh, said this past week, uh, the annual survey... Uh, also, showed an across the board drop in trust in personal computer and electronics uh, consumer brands. We said that a decline in trust causes brand erosion, price driven uh, purchase, purchase decisions, obviously, which in turn correlates with uh, a low market growth. Duh. Hmm. It was yeah. a telephone survey, by the way. So, I, telephone surveys are very interesting. I'm not sure uh, uh, how accurate. Uh, how accurate, exactly. Yeah. Of course, I,
2: I'm, I'm not sure about any surveys, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. Best uh, of all. Us- I was going to say, usually they're sponsored by somebody that wants to. Prove a point or get some publicity, and
1: yeah, I got a I got a telephone call from somebody who was marketing a radio station uh, here in our home market of Houston, and uh, this was a this was a call on my cell phone, no. which I thought I signed up for the uh, the do uh, not call the do not call, but obviously yeah. I I didn't, and a girl who was not exactly very well spoken uh, about uh, in terms of being a representative for the radio station, which I won't mention. Uh, was asking me to try this radio station. It's an existing radio station. And I said, uh, I really... Uh, oh, and they were going to enter me in a contest to win something. And I said, I, I really can't do that because we actually uh, uh, work for that uh, station. We do, uh, you know, the radio commercials and such. Mm-hmm. And, well, try it anyway, sir. You'll really like <laughs> it. And it's like, oh, my God.
2: Hey, I think I got that call, too. She said, hey, you want to listen to a new radio program? <laughs>
1: well, it was. it was weird, to say the least. And it was on my yeah. cell phone. It's like, what are, you, what are you doing calling me on my cell phone?
2: That is weird. Jeez. You know, you, you feel like they're infringing there. And you know, that was a great, great uh, setup for this next item, Ray. Uh, San Francisco uh, Startup is offering a new service that it hopes that will make television viewers uh, get as hooked on their cell phones as they are on their remote controls. AirPlay Network Inc said it will be introducing a lineup of cell phone games tied to t- tied to live television broadcast while watching TV subscribers could use their cell phones to compete against others in real time by predicting plays in sports, choosing winners on reality TV shows and picking answers on game shows. The first product, AirPlay Sports is due for release in the fall to coincide with the start of the uh, professional football season and uh, I think this is an interesting idea that really may have uh, may have some uh, potential frankly. It's backed by uh, 4 million dollars of venture capital from an uh, organization called Redpoint Ventures out of uh, California, I believe and oh. Oh, a really? uh, Cell phone technology provider. Qualcomm also, I believe, has an investment. But wow. uh, it's, a, it's an interesting idea, and I think uh, I can see that working. I can really see that uh, working.
1: And don't you just love all the new technology and what's going on there, too, as well? Yeah. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Uh, we've got, uh, we'll do a break here in just a moment. Uh, celebrity spokesmodels, uh, beware. <laughs> McDonald's is joining the ranks of companies seeking ordinary people for promotional material. Uh, that's yeah, a good I heard thing. About this. Uh, the mega marketer announcing a, a, a casting call uh, for consumers to grace its worldwide cup and bag packaging—an extension of its own "I'm Loving It" campaign. Mickey D's will—I hate Mickey D's—will uh, <laughs> McDonald's will solicit digital yeah. photos and stories, a hundred words or less, describing uh, what people love McDonald's. Along with its ad packaging, uh, agencies will pick up. Uh, up to 25 winners and fly them to London for a photo shoot. The contest is the latest in attempt by a marketer to shine a spotlight on ordinary
2: people. You've got the yeah. Unilever Dove thing that we've talked about. Right. Which is cool. Um, and this particular campaign's about what they love to do just as a lifestyle, not necessarily tied back to the food. And I thought it was an interesting idea. And then they're going to plaster uh, a global uh, consumer yes. across all different. Uh, uh collateral material cups and uh wrappers and so forth it should be interesting i I may go into a mcdonald's just to look at the wrapper yeah just don't go into mickey d's okay Mm -hmm. no that's
1: right uh we have uh, more on the way and andy borowitz too and if you like one away it would be a bad thing but
0: Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is the Advertising Show.
4: There's just one schlitz, yeah, yeah.
0: Nothing else comes near.
4: When you're out of ships,
3: you're out of beer. Just one beer fits, yeah,
6: yeah.
1: It's the beer segment of the show. No, it's not either. Uh, but, uh... But uh, it could be if we wanted it to be, I guess. Could be, yeah. Um, it's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show. Uh, Dick Stroud coming up next week, uh, author of The 50 Plus Market. And uh,
2: uh, that's that. What did you have there? What do you got? Yeah, there? we'll find out if he's calling him from London or where in particular in the UK. Yeah, Advertising Age Ray recently announced two key promotions. Uh, one. One friend of the show and, and frequent guest as well as someone that we're familiar with that just hasn't appeared on the show. Scott Donaton, uh, this past week was an, uh, who's been an editor of, uh, has been the editor for, for Advertising Age for since 98, was promoted to associate publisher of the Advertising Age or Ad Age Group and executive editor Jonah Bloom, a great uh, columnist, was uh, named uh, editor of Advertising Age uh, magazine, which apparently means he's filling, uh, Scott's shoes. Donaton will oversee areas such as new product development online extensions conferences and events and global licensing we'll see how that goes I don't know what you're going to license globally but have at it uh, bloom uh, who joined advertising age in july 02 will oversee the editorial operations and is uh, and its companion website of course at our sponsor and i'm reading that not because of any other reason other than the fact that uh, scott donaton who's been a guest here on the show congratulations mm-hmm. to scott for his new uh, new position as associate publisher of Ad Age Group, which I guess means he asked for a raise and he didn't get one. Probably so. And Garfield's, as, as usual, a little bit ticked off about the whole thing. Well, he's always upset. Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, actually, just he's funny. permanently. You know, no, right. he's, he does. He's a nice
1: He's a wonderful guy.
2: Absolutely. He's been yeah. on the show before as well. We like. We like him. He has been. Hasn't been on lately. That's I don't true. know. We're, we're going to have to figure out if we can find out if there's something he's pissed off about and get him back on.
1: I think that that wouldn't be a hard thing to do. Here's a guy That's who's correct. really never pissed off. He's just kind of, he's just kind of out there. If you know what I'm saying. Hi, this is Andy Borowitz for the Advertising Show, and now here's this week's feature from the Borowitz Report. After stating last week that the United States had made thousands of tactical errors in the war in Iraq. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice restated that number upward this past week, telling reporters that the actual figure was probably closer to a billion. Dr. Rice apologized for initially lowballing the number of U.S. mistakes, explaining, quite frankly, I forgot about a lot of the mistakes that Rumsfeld made. While acknowledging that pegging the number of mistakes in the thousands was an error, she added, quite frankly, when the United States has made a billion mistakes, what's one more? The State Department issued an official list of the billion mistakes made thus far in Iraq. But Dr. Rice warned that this list was far from complete. We are currently making between four and 5,000 mistakes a day, so this list is very much a work in progress. The list contains some well-known mistakes. Number one, expecting the Iraqis to greet us with flowers, but also some previously undisclosed ones. For 23,556,779, attempting to introduce Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer as the new Iraqi national anthem. At a press briefing at the Pentagon, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld was mum on the list of mistakes issued by the State Department. But he said that later this week he would be issuing a list of mistakes made by Dr. Rice. And that number is closer to a zillion said this is andy borowitz and this has been a
3: special edition of the borowitz report from the advertising show to read more reports or to receive daily email alerts log on to BorowitzReport.com.
1: this is andy borowitz saying keep it fake baby and i'm just wondering when andy's going to start hammering on tom delay oh uh, yeah who has uh, been in the news a lot lately uh, Tom, uh, exactly. Mister Delay, as we call him here in Sugarland, Texas, oh, lives around the corner yeah. from our studios. He's a, here, he's
2: your senator, isn't he? Yes, yes. From your and, district? Uh, yeah. He, well, he lives right down no, the street. He's a he's a. Uh, what am I saying? Your district? He's a U.S. senator. They uh, promoted him there, there. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: but ironically, uh, and he was already already elected uh, uh, and and won that election. Now they're going to have to run another election. Ironically. Yep. Uh, one of the names on that ballot will be the mayor of Sugarland. <laughs> really? Become, it's become like a local uh, he,
2: thing here. He's going to be the mayor?
1: No, no. The Delay. mayor of Sugarland may be on the ballot to replace Tom Delay.
2: Oh, I see what you're we saying. We haven't quite
1: figured that out yet. Why? But my uh, goodness, yeah, so. I
2: wonder if uh, who's going to be. you going to slide in and be the mayor then? Well, sure.
1: Why not? No, yeah. Fine. Can we start the campaign here?
2: I can imagine, Fourth uh, you hooray. know. There'd be certain tax advantages to that. Hey, by the way, you mentioned vote for Ray. A lot of people don't know. There's been a lot of rumors around uh, the Today Show. We mentioned earlier in the show that uh, Vieira is going to be taking over Katie's job. Right. It's a rumor. It's a rumor. But it's going to start here. There's a possibility that Ray Schellens will be replacing Al Roker as the weatherman. It's <laughs> just a rumor. You stay tuned.
1: I'm going to go ahead and get that uh, stomach surgery first, so I can <laughs> fill his shoes, and we'll be in good shape there.
2: Please. Well, maybe you can fill his shoes with. Whatever is left over after the surgery. Actually, I was a weatherman in upstate
1: New York. I took, Get out! Uh, yeah, I, I, part of my thing at the university, State University was a, uh, a, a video—not a video, but a meteorologist. Uh, well, no, it was—it was a video class, and uh, and uh, I chose to be a weatherman.
2: So oh, I, I see. actually
1: was a weatherman. I had to write the script and. and uh, it was really kind of cool. This you, goes you, back to the the early 70s, by the way. Well, you mean.
2: preceded Letterman, or you were right there with him, head to head. <laughs> Something like
1: that. <laughs> there you go. So uh, Dick Stroud, author of the 50-plus mark. I wonder how old Dick is, actually. Well,
2: he's uh, 93. Old Dick, he's old. He's, he's 93, so he's considering this studying old the youth market. As old as Wally Snyder, huh? No, I don't know how old he is. But, uh, you know, he said that uh, 50 is the new uh, 20. So they're starting to card me. I don't understand why that is, but uh, (laughs) for liquor. But uh, no, it'll be interesting because he's he's really uh, an expert when it comes to the fifty plus market and the baby boomers and so forth. So we'll have a lot to talk to Mr. Stroud about. Any questions for
1: Dick Stroud on the advertising show? Yeah,
2: big Dick Stroud. I like that guy. (laughs)
1: We hope you enjoyed the show today with Jonathan Holbert. Remember, go to NetworkSolutions.com and secure that site before Jonathan does. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> And then he'll call you and say, what's going on here? Yeah. And they'll with us next week. Go to Hey, go to theadvertisingshow.com. That one is definitely not available. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, and uh, you'll find uh, the podcast, the RSS feeds, of course, of the podcast. They'll, we'll tell you when the stuff is out there, and there is plenty to uh, to listen to as well. Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Of course, you can visit them online at age.com. Of course, you probably are subscribed to uh, them. But uh, until next week, we hope you'll uh, have a great week and join us here. This is a Big Radio Midgets production.